Well, thank you all again for being here this evening, and we are, uh, we're introducing still the theme of God's providence, which is going to be our Sunday school theme for a few months coming up here. But one way to do that, we thought, would be uh, to have some interviews that would lead up to that series. And so we heard, obviously, from Scott in, I think, was that in January, February, somewhere around there? And then we heard from you last month, uh, I guess in February, and then now again uh, this month. Um, obviously, 39 years, there's a lot to cover, and we, we only really got to cover a certain amount of it. Uh, so we would like to pick back up where we were last week. Uh, let me pray for us, and then we will uh, jump back in. Heavenly Father, thank you for a chance to hear about your goodness and your uh, sovereignty in uh, Jerry's life. I do pray that you would, uh, through the passages of Scripture that uh, Jerry's going to share and through the stories he'll share, I pray that you would um, rekindle our faith, strengthen our faith in your goodness in our lives. It is one thing to hear these truths, and it is another thing uh, later today or tomorrow morning or tomorrow afternoon to really apply these truths. We, we fail in some way certainly every day, every week, to truly apply these things the way that we should. And Lord, show us the joy and freedom that comes from really trusting You, even in the difficult times in life. And so I pray now, God, that You would strengthen our faith in Your goodness and Your sovereignty, and that You would encourage us, that You would help us to complain less, to pray more, to worry less, to trust You more. And I pray, God, that You would use this time for Your glory and for our good. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Jerry, here we are for part two. And just as a reminder here, uh, Jerry did not want to do a part two, but we, we, we pushed him on that. Um, uh, Jerry wrote up some questions as well, and Zach Petty printed them out and put them. They should, there should be some available afterwards. Uh, so when this is over, we'll still have hopefully a, a decent amount of time. We'll sing a song afterwards, but then we'll also have some time to, to work through some questions together. Hopefully about an hour. We did keep this to 15 minutes. Yeah. based on what Jerry was talking about. So uh, I'm looking forward to, to talking through those at our tables. We should have a little more time to do that tonight than we did uh, on the previous two weeks. So Jerry, are you ready to go? <laughs> <laughs> you need to want an honest answer there. I don't want an honest answer. Yeah. Um, let me start with our first question. I'll just jump yeah. right in. I'll, I won't even let Jerry answer that question. We'll, we'll jump in with the first question for tonight. So, uh, you, you talked a little bit about this before, but the idea of God's grace being sufficient. And we, we yeah. all know, uh, we've talked a lot about 2 Corinthians 12, about your grace is sufficient, mm -hmm. your power is made perfect in weakness. Can you begin talking a little bit about what that looked like for you in, in, in real life, sort of uh, earlier on in, this, in, in all that has happened to you? Yeah, well, I wonder mm -hmm. if that verse, Josh Cross, we were talking about having like 10 verses that summarize God's providence, and I wonder if that really would be a great one. You know, that God's grace is a vision. Whatever He's going to bring about is going to be uh, also sufficiently covered with His grace. And how many times have we thought about the idea that it's better to go through the trial and experience His grace than not go through the trial at all. And so I spend way too much time praying. I don't spend too much time praying. I spend too much time praying about the wrong thing about trying to avoid trials, maybe then enjoying uh, His grace. And so I really, and this came to me when Scott was sharing a couple months ago, is I believe God in His perfect providence um, gave the grace to Scott to seek Him, to go after Him, and to um, just be drawn so cl much closer to the Lord through His trial. 
early on in mine, I guess I had been a believer probably a decade, but as such a young believer and maybe an immature believer, I didn't feel like I really had to make a choice to trust him. You know, I, and I don't know how to say that right, but I, there just wasn't much temptation not to um, after I broke my neck. Um, and I don't know why, a couple guesses. One is his grace was so overwhelming. He just did what he promises to do. The Holy Spirit was interceding for me. So is the Lord Jesus. God's for us. Who can be against us? Uh, and the idea was that, you know, paralysis at that point was a defeated foe, really. Still formidable, but but defeated and, and not victorious. And so I'm certain there were bouts with you know, uh, self-pity and those sort of things. And I remember some of them in discouragement, and there still is. But um, just like Scott said a couple months ago, the sword of the Spirit Scripture is way more powerful than sin. So there were tons of people praying for me. We grew up in a, in a community where they were full of incredible praying people. Um, never a reason to doubt his sovereignty. Mom and dad trusted God so well. So the God they loved is the God that we could trust, you know, as a family. And that's, that's just kind of what we did at home. It was kind of simple. It's kind of trust and obey. And, um, and so I guess his grace has been sufficient, so much so. And I feel like in a different way than uh, maybe a more mature believer, God piled that on without me seeking it. Mm. You know, I, I should have sought him more, certainly. So... I'm not sure I've, I can remember the exact timeline here. When did you go to Columbia Bible College? How, yeah. you, how old were you when you went to Columbia? And talk about uh, being there, the, the effect it had on your life. Columbia yeah, that was a Bible great, College. That was a great deal. We went to, um, I was looking for a place just to learn more about the Lord Jesus. And so came through a Campus Life magazine, a bunch of uh, colleges uh, started calling around. They had, they were the least expensive so that was good, and they were the one that had a one-year Bible certificate. I thought, I need to go get, just learn about the Lord for a year straight, and I didn't have to take any English or any history or any nonsense. And so I could just take, just take the, sorry if you're an English teacher right now, that was a very bad, bad way to say that, but uh, it was really instrumental. And um, I got an incredible roommate, by God's grace, uh, the guy lined up. Uh, the opportunity, knowing I was going to need a help, a lot of help, um, and uh, called him Chief. Chief was an amazing man, and I think Chief knew he was in trouble. About six weeks in, <laughs> I got a bad insulin reaction during the night. Like he didn't know as much trouble he was as he kept on. It was three years of like where he had to shake his head and say, "What did I sign up for?" And I got a bad insulin. Re- when I get insulin reaction, I act pretty punchy, worse than normal, and so I woke up. And I was saying the FFA creed. I believe in the future of farming with a faith born, not of words or deeds. And I'll bet Chief was like, oh, no. What, what am I in for here for how many years of this? And uh, so... Is, is um, it similar to drunkenness? Is that, what, is that correct? The FFA creed? <laughs> no, yeah, no, it is. It is similar. That's a lot of... Because the Boston Celtics were in my room a few years earlier, all of them. Mikhail Parrish. Did you see? Larry did Bird? you see things? Well, I thought I was seeing them. Yeah, <laughs> man. So yeah, no, it is a little bit like that. And when uh, I I got a bad insulin reaction during memorization a few years ago in um in uh, at Westminster, 
And everybody got 100 on their memorization <laughs> that time. I didn't really know what I was doing. And then they kept asking. The next memorization is like, hey, could you have some insulin problems? Could you take a little... Could you take another shot? They thought they were going to get a, a little bonus grade there. But it was a phenomenal time at Columbia Bible College. There was really good, intense uh, teaching. The guy that had lined me up there was the dean of students. He was also the one that I went and worked for in Myrtle Beach then as he, when he became a pastor out there. He was the one that introduced me to Reformed theology. I thought he was a complete crazy man until just Scripture convinced me. Um, of that. It was a phenomenal great time out there. And then after I was there, I was, um, I was waiting to go and work on the physical therapy one more time at the Walker Institute in California. And so on the way, uh, on waiting for that, um, I was able to not take classes, still live on campus, and I worked for FCA for a year where I just went around and talked about God's goodness um, really, since I had been hurt. And that was very instrumental. Through that time, I think, that really three things became really, really important. And, uh, and these are the passages that went with it. Um, and again, it, it was, it's just those, these three things have dominated my thinking much of the next, I guess, 35 years here. First of all, that we need to pray instead of worry. Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so certainly, um, I still fight way too much anxiety. But man, if we're going to be good at praying, we're going to be bad at worrying. If we're going to be good at worrying, we're going to be bad at praying. We can't do, I don't think it works to do both. And so prayer, so big. And, um, and that became a uh, very instrumental. My mom, uh, Papa has taken over for my mom who prayed continually. Now Papa does uh, for me. But, and I know that certainly when I went out there, probably, you know, a thousand miles from Nebraska, she prayed all the more possibly because of my driving. Um, the... That I, I gotta go back to his story there. Before I left Nebraska, um, my van now has a ramp. It used to have a lift. I got up on my lift and um, I got locked into my van so that I, you know, wasn't all because I drive from my wheelchair. I wasn't rolling all over the van while I was driving. Well, this time I thought I was locked in. I was parked in downtown Hampton, Nebraska. The sign says 390 probably counting pets and everybody. There's hardly that many people in there. I took off just like normal, but the van went forward and I went backward. I started rolling backward in the van and I thought, uh-oh, I got to get up there and do some driving because I was going right for Smith's True Value. And that's really the only good store in all of Hampton. And while I was thinking that, I hit something in the back of my van and I fell right out of oh, my chair. No. So now I was laying in the back and the van still just, and I can see the lights. Like, coming by the window, I think, oh, what's going on here? And so as it turned out, I'm convinced God drove for a while, which he often does while I'm driving, I think, and he made a vicious turn. The van missed Smith's True Value. It went in between Smith's True Value and Rural Lumber. There's this empty lot there, and it broke through, which I now know was a fence. I'm just laying in the back wondering what's all 
going on. And we finally came to a stop, we being me and my van. And it turned out to be that I'd run into this fence. I didn't know if I had a house or a car or a cow. It was about 8.30 uh, in the, at night. So it's just getting dark. And so I'm laying in the back wondering, now I wonder what's going to happen. You know, so I lay back there, I lay back there, and I'm thinking, and pretty quick, Mrs. Smith from Smith's True Value <laughs> is looking through the window. And she's saying that she, for whatever reason, hadn't done this in the last couple months, came to check the back door of her shop to see if it was still locked. And she saw that I was like parked awkwardly against the fence. You know, and she said, I thought you were trying to steal something. I don't know how good a van uh, thief I would have really been laying in the back there. But she went and told my brother, he's one of the 390, and he came and got me back in my van, and it turned out it cost me like $33 for Roger Bumsberger to weld the fence back together. And so it was just one of those crazy times, and there's been 21 other ones I counted Wait, that are similar to that. There's another story connected to this story. You've got to, oh, that one's not, worse. If everyone's not heard the next story, you've, you've got oh, to share yeah, this. Yeah, that one's really bad. So this time I'm back and I'm working. Smith Street Value? Or? No, no, not away from the Smith Street Value. Now I'm in South Carolina and I'm in front of the church and I have delivered, I don't know how I got, was the one to have to do this, but I took four Korean students. I went and picked them up in North Myrtle Beach and brought, they had never been to our church or nor did I know if they knew any English, but they, we got them to church uh, at Surfside Press. And so after church, I'm ready to bring them back and I start telling them this story. Now, I don't know why was I telling them that story. I don't know. But while I was telling them that story, the same thing happened. <laughs> I, start, I started in reverse. I put it in drive. And when you put it in drive, that kind of stuff happens. I start rolling backwards. <laughs> And so now I'm right back by all four of them because they're sitting in the back, way in the back there. And uh, one girl and three guys, I think. And as it turned out, I ran right into the bishop's van in this, and they are talking a lot of Korean at this point <laughs> in the back. And, and so at this point, I would think, sure, my van still works. Surely somebody else is going to give them a ride. Nope. They stayed in the van while I drove oh. them a half, a, a half an hour to North Myrtle Beach from Surfside. I am pretty sure we'll see some of them in heaven due to that experience <laughs> of just how terrifying that must have been. And so that was, yeah, that was a bad, um, they're probably telling the same story right now. So, and then on the way to Tennessee once, this was bad too. I was following Jim Workin. No, no, Jim Workentine was following me, and I fell asleep with the cruise control on, and so when I woke up, I, a bridge was coming really fast, or I was coming really fast to the bridge. And so I was sure that I was going to heaven. And that was the, in that one split second, I thought, oh, I'm here, finally. And I... Like just grab the steering wheel, which I can't really grab. I really like, like that. Kind of slung it, and it got back on the road no on interstate, whatever it was, sixty maybe something. And it turned out to be that I wasn't sleepy anymore once I almost hit the. Uh, but Jim, in the power of prayer, this is where we were going with this. 
in the power of prayer, all Jim said he had time to do was say, Lord, Lord, Lord. That was, he was my buddy from, from Bible college and, and God answered that prayer. So there's just been so many times where, you know, I, I just think to pray instead of worry is huge. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Um, and you guys, thank you for you and Scott's messages from, from Matthew 6. So good. Secondly, our joy isn't based on our circumstances, but only based on Jesus and what he's done. I'm so thankful for that, that if our joy was based on our circumstances, it would go up and down. But since it's not, it doesn't need to. And we can have continual joy. I think that's why the Bible can tell us to be joyful always, right? Pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. Two instrumental uh, passages here, Romans 5, 3 through 5. Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. Hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, whom he has given to us. In James 1, 2 through 4, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have in its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, not lacking in anything. And so I love that fact that joy is not based on our circumstances. And in fact, our circumstances are perfectly given to us so that we have more joy, not less joy, I think, even the, the rough circumstances. Finally, we're to think with an eternal perspective. And this is what... Um, I became convinced of, especially traveling around and, and speaking uh, for FCA, uh, Romans 8, 18, for I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18, we do not lose heart. Though outward self is wasting away, our inward self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is a preparing for us an eternal way to glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are temporary, the things that are unseen are eternal. Colossians 3, 1 to 4, I love these, um, you know, these commands to think with an eternal perspective. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Let your mind, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. It's very clear, isn't it? It's so hard to do it, but it's such a clear uh, command. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. And the things that are above are so much more encouraging. So that's where we go and we need the, some courage and strength if we're discouraged. Set your mind on things above. Four, you have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you'll also appear with him in glory. And so two things I despise uh, when, I, when I fall into them, and they're related, my own indwelling sin and, you know, acting illogically. Those are two things that, you know, and I know that's things that all of us, we just wish wouldn't, we wouldn't fall into those traps. Living for today instead of living for eternity is uh, both of those due to our sin, due to our... Um, acting illogically. So positionally, we're free from sin, slaves to righteousness. So every trial, um, this trial, every trial, every trial that you have um, is 
given to you by God if you're a believer. Um, and it's an asset, not a debit when it comes to sanctification. Um, and in my case, I think, you know, to, to um, help me to communicate those three things and, and to, you know, want to start to live according to them. <clears throat> While you're at Columbia Bible College, uh, let me, I'm going to add a little extra question here. So you had a lot more time just because of where you were in life to just be in the Bible. It, mm, it was just part mm-hmm. of your, every, like your classes and everything. It was a, an unbelievable focus on Scripture. Yeah. You couldn't get away from it. It was just there. Can, can you talk a little bit just personally about what effect that had on you, having that yeah. much time to spend in the Word as a oh, kind of a preparatory yeah. for later on? No, I remember thinking, uh, studying for, like might have been for prophets class, just thinking, I cannot believe that I have to do what I want to do. I had to get ready for a prophet's test, and that's exactly what I wanted to do. And the more Bible classes I took, the more joy and the more I wanted to know more. And it just became, and we had really good teachers, so it became a, uh, just a, a great joy. I couldn't get enough of, of Scripture at that time. And then prayer, there was a year where the same thing, where I uh, just had eight different kind of groups or individuals to pray with through the week, that it's made a huge impact on, on my life during that time. And so it was an incubator for growth. And it's not all the time that we're in that, I think. But uh, that time was, was really rich. <clears throat> Developing those hab- the daily habits, uh, just the, 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 the spiritual disciplines, what, what, did that time period help you in that area, mm. developing those disciplines of, of Bible reading and prayer? Yeah, I think so. Now, certainly at that time, there was just so much time, and there weren't the other, there wasn't a job, there wasn't other things that were time stealers. But uh, yeah, no, absolutely. And, um, you know, I still want to grow in that, to be more consistent and really to be, no matter what happens, to guard that time. But, but it was that time that convinced me of just how valuable scripture was and just how great it was, how enjoyable it was. And, uh, you know, to talk about it at lunch and supper with, uh, you know, other Bible college guys, that was a huge, great blessing. I, I, mean, I can't thank the Lord enough for, for allowing um, those, those years. What are some extra temptations that you've had due to the physical uh, you know, trials that you've been through? Yeah. What, have there been additional temptations unique to, I mean, there's got to be unique temptations to that. And what, what have those been? Yeah, I think so too. And I would like, I guess if, while I'm sharing these, I think all of us have these. And it's probably good for us to think through them, I think, because we have to realize that we're not unaware of Satan's schemes, like Second Corinthians 2, maybe 11, that, and our own, to understand where our own depravity is going to go, that way we can put our dukes up, that we can really wage war um, against our sin. There were some of them, I guess, number one, and I, these aren't really in any particular order, but self-pity. Mm. Um, this might, to me, be the most maddening and destructive of the group. You know, it's temptation. Um, it's terrifying in, in several ways, but it certainly does not make the teaching of our Savior attractive, Titus 2.10. Um, for sure. It's unattractive in, in any way. Uh, it's a direct attack on God's goodness when we all in self-pity. Um, it paralyzes ministry just because of how self-centered it is. Um, I struggle when my van doesn't work, when I have sores maybe that are hindering me, uh, skin sores, pressure sores. Larry, in fact, my buddy at Bible College said, you're not a bad guy until your van doesn't work. 
And so, and I didn't have to say any more than that. You know, I knew that my joy was, is too much based on circumstances that are so self-pity. Wait, wait, just on that, is, is, is that rooted in, I deserve better? It, it, it's yeah. fundamentally a pride issue. Like, I, I, God is treating me less so. than I deserve kind of thing. Yeah, and that's what I thought was number two, but I wonder if they're just really closely related, just entitlement. That we should never have that entitlement, but I do so often. I think that that is a, almost the same thing of what you're saying. Comes with self-pity. It's kind of when you have the victim card in your pocket. Um, you know, for the believer, we always get better than we deserve. And, you know, we need to realize that. that that's, we are never, ever, ever getting less than we deserve with what the Lord's um, done for us. And so uh, there can be a mentality. I know this is ridiculous that, you know, <laughs> I deserve more attention or perks because I can do less. Um, you know, if you're saying, well, that's ridiculous, that's exactly right. That is ridiculous. And it's really all sin. You know, third, I, I oftentimes can be bossy and impatient. Ben, Mags, Amy at home, I think they take most of the brunt of that. I'm very sad and sorry when that happens. Um, you know, they, it's not a sin to be needy, but it certainly is a sin to not be patient for God's provision, you know, when I am. So, you know, oftentimes it's like, hey, would you do this? Would You know, while you're there, would you? You know, just a lot of asking for stuff that, that uh, maybe I'm not very patient with. I think number four, laziness. I guess I'd love for you guys to think about your the trials that you have or the temptations you have through those trials. For me, another one would be laziness. You know, naps are becoming a little more commonplace maybe when they're not needed. And it fights urgency. You know, with the few seconds that we have left on this earth, uh, there's no time for that. Um, can't afford not to be urgent. And, um, you know, I guess that probably goes um, for all of us. Uh, another one would be you know, taking time, taking credit for the things that God alone has done. So, uh, you know, quadriplegia, um, I think is usually far more, debilitating for for folks across the board my time as a quadriplegic has been far less bothersome i don't have any pain not as many skin issues probably as usual bowel and bladder issues are not terrible they're they're a lot better than i think most quadriplegics there's an independence due to driving and employment and a support of family and and you know financial stability but that all fits under a John 1.16, the fullness of his grace, he's given one blessing after another. So just by definition, that's undeserved favor. It's not something I've earned. And so that can, there can be uh, a temptation that's wicked uh, you know, and foolish um, to take credit for that, for sure. Oh, that's good. Um, can you talk about the physical blessings you've experienced? You've, you've started talking about yeah. some of that, but some of the physical blessings you've experienced that have been maybe unique given your situation. Yeah, I think it's good to think about those. You know, those aren't nearly as, uh, I'm not nearly as thankful for those as I am for the spiritual blessings, but certainly we need to count our many blessings. Um, I think it's good for us to do that, that God's given, um, you know, and I'd be remiss uh, not, not talking about them. One thing is being a quadriplegic is way funnier than I thought. People say funny stuff. 
and little kids are really funny. And I think I talked about them a little bit last night. What I just, uh, I guess I'd been a, probably in the chair about a year. I was at University of Nebraska. I was trying to buy some books. They were some falling off my lap and people were picking them back up for me. And I got to the counter and the lady looked at me like I was going to check out. The lady looked at me and she said really slow and really loud. That'll be $48.12, kind of mouthing her words. So I think she thought since I was a wheelchair, I couldn't hear very well either. I kind of went with it, kind of a package deal. And so uh, the guys behind me were guys I was living with. They, I, they talked loud to me for like three weeks after that. They thought that was great. So that was kind of a funny deal. That was at uh, Pizza at one time. My friend uh, Brent, I can't remember, Chase, was uh, behind me, and we were going into pizza. Two guys in a wheelchair. I'm sure it had to be quite a sight. And I was having troubles getting up this little ramp. You couldn't have rolled the marble down this ramp. That's how steep it was, but I couldn't get up. And I was just, like, learning how to. And so I'm trying to get up, and Brent's like, hey, I can help you here. So he came from behind, and he was giving me a push, which had to look great. Well, as he y'all are both, did, y'all are both in wheelchairs. Oh, are we? <laughs> yes, we are. And so as he's pushing me from behind, I flip right over backwards on top of him. So now I have my feet in the air, lean back on him. And he's like, Jerry, I don't think I can hold this very long. I'm not very strong. And so I started calling hollering when you both of us are quadriplegic, so we don't have any breath. We don't have any air to holler. So I'm, 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 so, but some lady, it's almost Christmas, some lady is in the next, like a parking lot, quite a ways away, buying Christmas presents that looks like sticking them in her trunk. And she looked at me, and, him, and she kind of waved and got in her car and took off. And it's like, I'm not, that's one situation right there I'm not dealing with. And so finally the guy from Pizza came out, Put me back on my wheels, got me back in. But, you know, there's a lot of way too many stories. Like that Brent and Chase, I got caught in when we were trying to get, he was kind of teaching me the ropes. He had been a quadriplegic like five years already. And so I got my front little foot pegs caught in his spokes. Like I got offline, I wasn't paying enough attention. I ran in. So we were like Siamese twins hooked at the wheelchair. And we couldn't get apart, and some guy had to be like pulling us. There's a lot of good stories about stuff like that. Wait, so that, wait, in all seriousness, I mean, those are hilarious. I could I, uh, every time I hear these stories, I and most of them are embarrassing at the time, <laughs> well, that, but they become saying. funny. The the, the the humbling effect. I mean, that's got to be kind of an awkward thing when it happens. Well, yeah, <laughs> I, it is for sure awkward. But you know, I think the Lord also matches the trial with the personality. He's the same one that gives mm. you both. So you know, there's. I guess it would have been more embarrassing if I did a lot of dumb things before I got hurt, and probably just got used to it. Wasn't there one time that a girl was visiting our school for the first time, oh. and you, you? Am I thinking correctly? And you went out to greet her for the first time. She'd never met you before. Yeah, basketball camp. Why am I doing basketball camp anyway? That's one question. But I'm doing basketball camp, and this girl from Monsignor Donovan came to, to, it's like the second day on Tuesday. So I was wheeling up to her. I was going to shake her hand and introduce myself. Fell right out of my chair, like right in front of her, right on her feet almost. And 
How old was she? Sixteen. That probably. is gonna, That's a permanent yeah. scar on your yeah, life, right I there. I think she's also probably talking about that or seeing the counselor right now. <laughs> I wouldn't doubt it because it was. It had to be. And then this is not. This was probably worse. This was in front of the whole class. We were in Romans, so I got a bunch of ninth graders, probably fifteen of them. Were you illustrating Romans eight twenty eight at this I was, moment? Well, I, I, yeah, I should, yeah, exactly. And it turned out, I'm talking about thirty eight or, or twenty eight or thirty two, and I got way too excited. So if I hook my arm, I fall out less. And I thought I, I guess I thought I had to hook my arm on it, and I fell right out of my chair while I'm talking about Romans eight something, and they. So now they don't know for sure whether to laugh or cry. They know they want to laugh. But they don't know if that's really right when that happens to people in wheelchairs. Are you supposed to laugh when they fall out or not? Well, Katie was laughing. She really thought it was funny. The other 15 of them didn't know. So I, now I'm laying on my stomach. I, when I fell out this way, I got... So four guys, now we got all ninth graders here, so they're like 15. And so they come and they're going to help me out. I said, I'm going to need some help here. And why we didn't get a teacher or somebody else. But anyway, so the four of them, and I didn't do a very good job of telling you, all you have to do is roll me over, and then somebody pick up underneath my like arms, or somebody pick me underneath my legs. This was before I gained weight. I would have been a little bit less. Well, anyway, all four of them picked me up, but I'm still upside down. So now they lift me up, kind of one on each limb, sort of, and... Then they have to twist me like a rotisserie. They have to turn me like this while I'm in the air and get me back in my chair. That had to be a funny, that's before phones. Otherwise, that oh, would have been a good be, video. Oh, uh, we can show the video right now. That would be incredible. Yeah, it's so embarrassing. Yeah. So, and they do. Those guys, when I see them, they are still talking about it. They're four, <laughs> especially those four, four guys, though. But... You know, there's no... Go ahead. You talked about dealing with pain, right? Was Is different with quadriplegia? Yeah, well, a lot of quadriplegics, from what I understand, have a lot of pain. But I just haven't. So I've been one of the physical, a huge physical blessing. You have not experienced? Almost none. And, and even though they, they're, it's kind of phantom pains that most people have, from what I understand. And, uh, and I have had... Just um, almost none um, in that. Uh, to be able to drive has been you know, such a great blessing. Uh, and it was Brent Chase, the guy that I was ran into his wheelchair, and the guy that tried to push me up the ramp was the guy that got me to drive. He said he just needed to learn how to do it. And, you know, so 37 years, 1.1 million miles ago. And so far, nobody's even been hurt um, in that. And so that's been, you know, quite a quite a blessing um, for sure. Uh, I would say that the um, just having a lack of, of skin sores, those have been usually kind of oftentimes what kind of get quadriplegics, they'll get a pressure sore, it becomes infected, you can't quite get it healed up. And so with the diabetes, the doctor said, because I had diabetes when I was 10, and got the spinal cord injury when I was 17, so that combination would have been bad for circulation. And so, uh, I mean, it's just been an amazing thing can, that God. Can I ask, this is, I know this is kind of sounds like a negative question. Yeah. <clears throat> There's a positive and negative side, but can you just mention, this is not in our notes here, but life expectancy, given what you have. Oh, can you yeah. say a word about that? Because I've always thought about no, this. No, Amy reminded me of that. We have, I'll, 
come to that in a second with a different deal, but um, they, they, the actuaries had to do that on... For insurance? For me, yeah, for insurance purposes um, when I was probably 26. And Amy reminded me of that the other day because uh, I guess I had shared... <laughs> I shared this with her before, either right before we had got engaged or maybe after we had already gotten engaged. It was a little safer to share this. But uh, yeah, they figured 56, which I have like one more month of being 56. So could be soon that I get. So that was now, they may say 57 now if we had to redo it again. But yeah, just with the spiral, I think especially the diabetes. But that, that has to reorient your sense of urgency even more so. I mean, it, people can die any time, but the thought of like that, that, that has to have some effect on you as you're younger when you hear well, that. I think it just makes you excited, you know, almost in heaven at this point. But yeah, it should give an urgency to, to you know, to get there and, and uh, you know, just that, uh, that, that, that probably is coming, um, you know, sooner than, than the average bear for sure. Um, you know, I think that without the pain also goes with it that there, I, I just sleep really good. I don't think, again, because if you're not sleeping in, in my position, you can't really get up and read or go get a snack or whatever you do when you can't sleep. But I can always sleep. So uh, that's a huge blessing, I think. Um, you know, to be able to get married, and I'm sure quadriplegics get married, but there aren't quadriplegics that marry someone like Amy, you know, that is just so faithful and so loyal. And um, so, I, and we were highly pessimistic, especially I was, about the ability to have children, but then to have Ben and then to have Mags. I um, mean, just, you know, overwhelmed with, with the Lord's graciousness there. Um, the way he's supplied financially uh, in a fascinating way. And, and man, I, that's, I think, oftentimes for all, all of us, sometimes there's financial concerns. I would beg you, I would plead with you as my dad. My dad was laissez-faire as a parent to a crazy degree. You know, like one time he just said, well, suit yourself. I don't recommend that as a young parent. That's not the, really the way to go. But that was about how, how he went about parenting. But one time on the phone, I must have been telling him about, we, I didn't know if we were going to make it financially. And he just let me have it. He said, are you, what kind of crazy thinking is this? How many times has God taken care of you? And you're thinking this time he's not. And so I would say the same thing, maybe with less vigor, to say, God's going to take care of your finances. He just does. The one, uh, and there's, there's a thousand stories on that, but one that might be most incredible in my situation was about six, and this kind of emotional even think about it, but about six weeks before I got hurt, our superintendent, um, who had taught my mom, crazy as that was, so he's an older guy, probably 70-something, got a, uh, 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 something from an insurance company that said, for $1 a student, we will insure your school for a catastrophic insurance policy. 10000 bucks at that point was catastrophic. I know that you get for a toenail clipping right now. But at that point, it was, that's what it was. Wait, so, how, how long before your accident was this? Six weeks, six, he said. Wow. Yeah. And so he said, you know what, I'll do that. It was like 323 bucks. That's how many students there are elementary and, and, uh, and high school. So he sent in the money, 
and, and I broke my neck. And that insurance company ended up paying more than $200,000 of 1980s and 90s money. And that was the lifetime policy. And then the guy, whose name was Doug Rudlinger, who came to lunch and said, we're taking care of you for life. This is something we're going to work loss. If you can't work, we're going to pay. They would pay people to fly back and forth to Columbia Bible College and drive back with me. Mennonite aid, they were already, all Mennonites had Mennonite mutual aid. That's what you had for insurance. And so we had this, and I told them, you know what? I don't really need Mennonite aid. You guys are so good. They're like, oh, why don't you keep it? It's saving us some money. We'll just pay the uh, premiums. So I didn't even pay for my other insurance. They paid for it. Ridiculous what they all paid for. They were great. And the guy embezzled all the money, Mr. Rudlinger. <laughs> and uh, like there was, and, and built houses all over everywhere. And so they went broke. They, they went broke. And the, the guy from Connie Chu's old enough to remember eye to eye with Connie Chung, like three of you maybe, but they called and said, we would like you to come on and tell us how bad this guy is that invested all the money. It was like, a, you know, an investigative thing. And so I was telling them what a blessing it had been, you know, the whole thing. And then I got rejected on the show. I didn't get to go on. I didn't get to go. But the lady they did get on there was somebody's mom talking about how she didn't want to treat him very well. So that was... Yeah, probably more exciting than if I had got on there. But <laughs> the, that was an extraordinary deal where then Nebraska had, and I understand that they were the only one, they had an insurance for the insurance company. So the insurance company went broke. They paid me mm. more money. I probably would have got lifetime out of that other deal in just another way where God took it. So that was, allowed me to go to Bible college that allowed me to get some help while I was at Bible college and, and things like that, that, you know, just am, uh, and amazing. And way early on in our marriage, we would get this. They would find a house in Bermuda, and they would sell it that the guy had brought. And so we would get these little yellow checks in the mail, like a little yellow envelope. And Amy would call me. It's like, we got a yellow envelope. And it might be like they divided it up between all the quadriplegics that were, you know, still getting money from them to so be... 38 bucks or 138 or, you know, something like that. That would be, they were always kind of fun little checks to get. Anyway, God takes care of, care of that. And, uh, you know, to be employed, um, but not just employed, to, to have one of the best five jobs in North America. I, I've never felt one day that I was really going to work. It's just what I'd love to do if I didn't have to to do anything. We get to live in kind of a, a normal home that probably doesn't look much different. It's got big doorways and a big shower. Um, I don't sweat like normal. That's that happens when you're a quadriplegic. But uh, so, you know, when we came to the South, I thought that might be um, a problem, but that the heat hasn't been, been a problem. My lungs are really compromised. I don't get to breathe through my lungs because the muscles around there are paralyzed. I breathe through my diaphragm. So I thought, like, that's why I didn't know for sure what would happen with COVID if I got COVID, whether that would be a little bit too hard on the lungs and be able to recover from that, but didn't get COVID or they still work, no pneumonia or bronchitis or anything. And so, but way better than that's the spiritual blessings, yeah, for sure. And I, I think on that front, um, 
that just a forced dependence on the Lord. <clears throat> Hebrews eleven six, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. Uh, I mean, um, that without faith, it's impossible to please God. But we must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So I think that's the great, that's, I've been forced to believe that he's going to reward those who earnestly seek him without being able to do much on my own. And, uh, and, and certainly uh, he has done that. So kind of I think oftentimes our need um, for physical dependence is a continual reminder of our need for spiritual dependence. You know, he must increase, we must decrease. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And I think that's, I'm reminded of that. Just can't do anything really without him. Um, there's been plenty of temptations for all of us to be distracted. I wonder if there's less distractions um, in the wheelchair than there would have been. Um, it's probably good for the battle just to be um, single-minded, um, I think. Um, I think it's safe to say, and I haven't thought much about this one until we're trying to get, you know, think through this a little bit, but that our Lord's kept me from some physical temptations due to just physical lim limitations. I don't know what those would have been, uh, but don't you think it has to be an answer to prayer? And again, I'd like you guys to think through through yours that God's given you as well, but to, an answer to prayer of Matthew 6, 13, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I think that's what he's done probably in that way. Uh, another one has to be, just his fatherly discipline. You know, that God uses, whether it's van or whether it's swords or whether it's something else, but just that he's always perfect um, in the way he disciplines us. He's our heavenly father. He's going to be perfect uh, in that, whether that's daily frustrations, not able to get the things that, that I'd like to do. Um, but I love this, and I think this is true for all of us. The best training camp is the one you're in right now. That's the one he picked for you. The best training camp is the one that I'm in. And so he's always training us. Um, it's hard to, uh, we have to believe that because that's true. Hebrews 12, um, you're familiar with it, but let me read it. This is so good. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord or be weary of when, he re what, when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they discipline us for a short time as they seem best to them. But he, I love this line, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems pleasant rather than, or painful rather than pleasant, but later it uh, yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, Lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Make your straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for, uh, for 
the holiness without no one will see the Lord. And so, you know, I think God uses those trials to discipline us. Certainly the wheelchair has accelerated my desire to be at, away from the body and at home with the Lord. Um, besides my own sanctification and justification and sanctification of the people I love, um, I, there's not a lot appealing to this world, really. Um, Paul says that in Philippians 1, verse 18 to 25. What then, only in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed? And in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ will turn out for my deliverance. As it is, my eager expectation and hope um, is that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For am I to live in the flesh? If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I choose, I cannot tell. 23, so good. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that's far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. I'm convinced of this. I know that I'll remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So that's good that God's um, in control of that. Uh, so, you know, it's certainly the wheelchair kind of robs you of some ability to build earthly treasures, which is good. Um, without that, I, I'm afraid I would have had a, a real temptation, still do, but still had a kind of more than an average inclination to go after worldly treasures. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy or where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. So, Now that's really helpful. <clears throat> We're almost done, but just maybe a last thing here relating to the last things you said. For, for the believer who finds death more frightening than exciting, there, there's a hesitation, yeah. there's the fear, maybe there's doubt about whether they're a true believer, there's doubt about whatever it may be. Yeah. What, what would you say, because I, I, I always sense the excitement that you have about one day closer and eternity is there, yeah. and I think some believers can have a struggle to say, well, yes, but there's, there's this, there, there's this, there could be a frightening aspect to that. Well, how would you encourage those people? Yeah, I think those passages that just talk about setting your mind on things above and not on earthly things, and I guess partly as in you don't want to necessarily have to break your neck to get that, but there, I believe God purposely brings us through these trials to help us keep a looser grip on this life and a tighter grip on eternity. And I think it's just logical. Zero percent of our time is spent down here. So we need to, mathematically speaking, so we really need to think about something that's eternal and uh, invest in that and think about that and enjoy that and anticipate that, you know, rather than... So I'm, I'm hypocritical in that every day, the busyness of life and the fun of life, too, uh, distracts me from thinking about eternal things. And so I guess if there's a fear of death, talk to the Lord about that and ask the Lord for 
deliverance from that fear. It's all working together for good. And, and then maybe he would say, convince you that you're not a believer. But he'll also, according to Romans 8, 16, the Holy Spirit will testify with your spirit that you're truly a child of God. So if you're truly a child of God, don't hang on to this life for Pete's sake, right? That's not, this isn't where it's at. And uh, we were convinced of this in the Romans again, in the Romans uh, 13, uh, like 11 and 12, is this is the night. You know, the day is what's coming. We're not in the land of the living headed for the land of the dying. We're in the land of the dying headed to the land of the living. That's where it's going to get good. So if this is as good as it gets, that's not very good news. But this isn't. It's only getting better for the believer from here, and that's what's, you know, I think exciting. And so certainly when the Lord Jesus is very logical and he says, don't store up your treasures down here, because that's where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So I, I think it's, you know, biblical and logical to uh, focus on things above. And since it's true, we just as well enjoy what we have to look forward to, the anticipation of it. Can you close us in prayer? Yep. And then we're going to sing. Okay. Father, I'm thankful for uh, each of the trials that you've given us and the situation that you've put us in. Certainly none of those are, um, are the same, and you're perfect as our Heavenly Father to bring about just what you desire in each of our lives. Lord, we pray that we would trust you. Um, certainly we know that um, all of it is working together for good um, because we love you, because you've called us according to your purpose. You've given us your son. And uh, since you didn't spare him, we know that now along with him, you will graciously give us all things. All we need to be conformed to the image of our, our Savior and your son. And so, Lord, convince us of those truths. If it is tonight that someone in here has yet to know the Savior, I ask that they would uh, see your, your goodness, your love, your holiness, uh, your grace, and, uh, and their need for a Savior. And uh, Lord, we ask that you um, would convict us deeply of sin, maybe of the sin of not trusting you uh, as we ought, even as I struggled with that so, so badly today. Um, maybe it's the sin of um, entitlement or uh, self-pity. I know those that, that I struggle with. Maybe it's other uh, sins, whether it would be greed, whether it would be um, uh, thinking with a temporary uh, perspective instead of an eternal perspective, um, all of those things. So, Lord, give us, uh, shower your grace by convicting us uh, on those sins that we would raise to you. We thank you for your perfect discipline um, in our life. Certainly, uh, Lord, we know that no discipline is pleasant at the time, but later on it produces a harvest of righteousness for those who are trained by it. We're so thank thankful for your fatherly love and protection of your children and that you who began that good work will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And we long for that day, and we thank you that we've never been this close before. Uh, we look forward to it uh, with eager anticipation, uh, the return of our Savior in Jesus' name.
Well, I'd invite you all, let's stand and sing together. Oh 
pray again briefly, and then we've got about 13 minutes or so to talk through some of these questions at our tables. Lord, we would ask that our conversation now would be honoring to you and edifying for us, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.